a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Tom Bettis, Maria Shaleas with you this morning. Taking your calls at 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. Next listener, Tom says they are allergic to potting soil. That is a problem. They want to know what plants work well for hydroponic growing, water-only fertilizer. What? How do you fertilize those? We'll start with the plants first. What plants work well hydroponically? Well... You can grow about anything hydroponically if they're going indoors. Under it's just, lights and those Yeah, sizes. it's just a little more work. And so, you know, I, you have a hydroponic system on your desk. That I do, that I haven't for, used for a couple of years. <laughs> but it worked. Oh, no, it actually works really well. Um, yeah. But you're right. You have to pay attention to them. So I, there are whole systems out there, and it depends on the extent you want to go to because there are – Systems where you can get a block of, it's really similar to florist foam that you plant a tomato in and it roots out into the foam. And then you basically keep a stream of water going at the base that then leaches up into the root system. So it just depends on the extent because tomatoes, um, peppers, almost anything can be grown hydroponically. It just depends on how much you want to invest. Yeah, I did best with the green leafy things like lettuces. But then they're short-lived. You have to replant them, right? So that's kind of why I sort of lost interest in Yeah. And so the microgreens are another one. Or if you're wanting to do younger lettuces, arugula, the cabbage or mustard greens, anything along those lines are fairly easy. But you're probably reseeding at least every six weeks to two months. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next person says, can they grow garlic indoors and is it difficult? My question is why? <laughs> I The garlic needs to have a what's called a vernalization over the winter. Mm-hmm. And so if you wanted to put it in pots and maybe put those pots in your garage over the winter and then bring them out in mid-March and let them grow, you could do that. But mm-hmm. they would be one because they require that winter vernalization to produce a bulb the next year that probably wouldn't long-term really work. Mm-hmm. They might be able to do chives or something. Right. Uh, next person wants to know, how do they keep lemon balm from coming back? It's getting everywhere. It's a mint family plant. Mint so is, I love mint. Don't get me wrong, but it's very aggressive. It really is. And I unfortunately, they may need to resort to a pre-emergent where it's going crazy because the seeds keep coming up. So they could maybe try something like preen in the area. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, next person says, what is the most cost-efficient way to heat a greenhouse if you're going to heat it? Well, it, if you're going to heat it through the winter, natural gas, I think, is the least expensive energy source right now mm-hmm. as far as just heats per, you know, heat units per dollar. And so if you have the ability to put natural gas heaters in, that would be the cheapest. But there are some passive methods. And so a larger structure is going to hold heat longer. And then, you know, so you can garden a little earlier that way, you can get double walled greenhouses that will add a little bit of insulation value because you have a layer between the outside. You know, it's not a lot, but it does add some in there, but it's just something that is going to be expensive. And so, you know, for a a 10 by 12 greenhouse, you easily could pay $100 to $200 a month to heat it due to the lack of insulation if you grow in it all year round. One of our listeners wants you to know that they are they enjoy your sarcasm, even though I'm always putting you in line. Um, they say you're so funny. Uh, my wife and I love you. Now I'm feeling a little left out because you're getting all the love and I'm not. But uh, just so you know, well, some people do like your sarcasm. I think your sarcasm sometimes is hard to tell if you're being sarcastic. <laughs> so that's why I'm always going, um, mm. well, let's, without Maria sitting here, keeping me in line, I probably wouldn't be on the air very long. Oh so goodness. Maria is the mother hen of the show that's <laughs> oh, saying, great. you behave. I'm the fun one. Stop yes. it. Uh, next person would like to know how to grow rhodiola rose. How do you pronounce that? Rhodiola uh. rosea, rosea? I uh, uh, what is that? I have no idea. It sounds like a wine. What is that? I have no idea. So it looks like He's gonna oh, do some research okay. on this. Rhodiola, I don't know if they're growing it for medicinals. I've seen this out there and it's one I've never grown. Hmm. Um when you look it up rhodiola, it what comes up is health food stuff. Oh. So that is one that I honestly would need to do further research on because in 10 years, no one has ever asked about it. Wow. Okay. How about indoor plant cuttings in a bottle of water instead of a pot of soil? That you can do it. That works with geraniums. Yeah, it works with geraniums. It can work with roses, a lot of different things. It's just a different method. My comfort zone is into vermiculite, perlite, or potting soil, and so that's where I usually veer, but there's a whole school of people that start many things in water, and they do just fine. Was it two years ago I did the the experiment with the geraniums? Mm-hmm. And they do great. So if you're just looking to start to do something, uh, take some cuttings off your geranium plants and, and do those. They're, they turn out really well. Uh, next person says, is it best to rake up the leaves that have accumulated on the lawn, lawn after the winter snow melt? It's good to rake them up anytime they accumulate. If you leave them on the lawn, you run the risk, if you get heavy snow, of that section of lawn being robbed of oxygen and it will die out. Or you could get fungal diseases such as snow mold underneath and the snow melts off. You rake the leaves back and snow mold has killed out sections of your lawn. And so if Unless it's just a light sprinkling of leaves, I do not like leaving them on the lawn. Now, there's nothing wrong with having some piles of leaves in areas with bare soil. It will actually provide habitat for beneficial insects and spiders and things that you may want. But on the lawn itself, I'm not a huge fan. 
Okay. Phone lines are open. We're going to come back with the final segment of our show. You can call us right now at 801-575-8255. You can also text your questions to 57500. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton with you this morning. Final segment of the show, you can call us now. Phone lines are open, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. We've been taking a look at uh, some of my landscape plan and some of the more water-wise plants because my plan has all water-wise plants now. We've got to do away with some of these things that are taking up so much water. And you found a couple of them interesting that we've not talked about before. Yes, there, there are several on there that are just really neat plants. But one of them that is becoming more common but still is not is at, sometimes called Hesper aloe or red yucca. Red yucca is a really common name. And so if you're familiar with the yucca plants, they have the spear-shaped leaves that come out, but then they have the white flowers mm-hmm. in early summer. Well, Hesper aloe, the red yucca, is actually more closely related to, not important, but what it does is that it has these red flowers and it blooms most of the summer. And so you have this yucca-looking plant with these light red, kind of darkish pink, light red flowers, and it just goes the entire summer. They are, have been very common in the desert southwest, but we're finding that they are actually quite cold hardy on the Wasatch Front. So they're at least a zone six plant. And so you can put them in areas that only maybe gets watered once a month, once they're established, and they're perfectly happy. And they get about the same height as the Same others. height and width of the yucca that you would put into your landscape. Okay, there were a couple others that caught your interest. Well, another one, the Jack of Diamonds um, Brunera, which is sometimes called uh, Siberian Bug Loss. That's a weird name. That is a weird name. I like Brunera better. But Me too. there's several varieties of Brunera that have variegated leaves. And so Brunera is a perennial plant that you plant in shaded areas that is more water-wise than given credit. But it gets about 18 inches high and wide, maybe two feet, and it has really pretty like lime green and white variegated leaves. And so it's a really pretty, pretty plant to, say, cover a cement foundation with or put in areas where you need a little bit of height in the shade. But in early spring, it's comes out with these dainty little blue flowers. And so the combination of these lime green leaves with the white variegation and the and the blue flowers is pretty really pretty. 
And Brunera is one that has been around forever, but it's never been super popular. And I just is one that I think should be planted more. Mm -hmm. You don't see a lot of plants too with blue flowers. I mean, there are forget me nots and mm, what else is there? But not very many that have blue flowers. No, there are not. And it's one of the few that have blue flowers. And it's in a family that commonly has light, dark blue flowers in it. Mm-hmm. But it's weird because blue flowering plants are more common to Asia and North America, but Europe doesn't have really any native blue flowers. And so I don't know why that is, but you see those colors sometimes in Columbine. And so there are those out there, but this, the Brunera Even the straight green types are pretty, but the variegated, like the Jack of Diamonds or Jack Frost, are just really pretty plants for shaded areas. All right. Let's go to our next listener. Uh, This person says they planted roses for the first time last year. Were they supposed to cut them back for the winter? Since they didn't do that, what do they do now? You cut the roses back in mid-March. Which means you're safe. You're safe. And so people trying to prune their roses in the fall generally need to turn their pruners over to a significant other or a relative to keep them safe until they're in a better state of mind to prune at the correct time of year. And so roses are pruned. If they're the tea roses, like you'd bring indoors, they're always pruned on the Wasatch Front in mid-March in colder mountain valleys like Heber, Cache Valley, they're pruned in early April. Uh, Next listener says they have some bare spots in their lawn from the drought conditions. Uh, They would like your advice about overseeding. Well, they may not be dead. They could have just gone into hard dormancy and will come out in the spring. But, you know, if there's no snow on your lawn and you can find some grass seed, you could actually just put it down now and let rain and snow flush it into the soil and let it germinate on its own. In the spring. Otherwise, if you're wanting to do a little more thorough job, you would till those areas out and reseed them sometime in mid to late April. Okay. Uh, next listener says, what time of year can they prune a privet hedge? In mid-March is when you do your pruning. Privets will tolerate some pruning through the summer. They're one that are really common in the Hamptons and I don't know why, but a lot of the homes are surrounded with privet hedges, Mm -hmm. but they tolerate pruning through the summer. But the best time of year, especially for renewal pruning, is in mid-March. Okay. Uh, Any other, we still have a few minutes left in the show, Ton. Any other plants, uh, water-wise plants you want to tell our listeners about this morning? Well, there are so many of them out there. And, and more you know, and more becoming more available. More and more right? becoming available. And so we I was looking at your plans and one thing I really like is that the plan itself isn't a rubber stamp of the ten previous plans that were done. Mm-hmm. You know, things are unique and customized, but the plant mix is totally different than what would have been year, used 20 years ago when I first got into the green industry. You know, back then it was crimson pygmy barberry with Norway maples and potentillas with, you know, maybe some perennial geraniums. And we've almost completely gotten away from that plant mix on plans like this into... Plants, a lot of those plants are sustainable and fine, but it's just a completely new mix that uses stuff that isn't just the same old, same old. 
The other thing that was excellent is there's no flowering pears on the plan and <laughs> honestly, no Norway maples. Mm. And so the flowering pears are one that we need to get away from because nationally they're becoming very invasive and they're just so common that if we have a disease or something come in, that they could really do a lot of damage as far as our landscapes go because so many would be killed. So just on the plant in general, there is a pretty good mix of plants that seem to be a little more adapted. You know, there's fine line buckthorn, which is one that is a tall, narrow shrub that gets two to three feet wide and can get up to 10 to 12 feet tall. And it acts as a screen where you need privacy, but it, it stays narrow. Now, with some of these plants become kinds of maintenance that we're not used to. And so that fine line buckthorn may need to be wrapped in the winter like you would a juniper so that the branches don't split out. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to be some additional maintenance. But the landscape plans that we're seeing now from, you know, architects that were trained in the last 10 or 15 years are oftentimes lower maintenance as far as once they're installed is what we are traditionally used to. And so it doesn't seem really practical or logical, but less grass equals lower maintenance, less time spent in the yard because a lot of those plants that you have in your yard now only need to be deadheaded, only need to be split every three or four years, only need to be pruned in the spring to where in our lawns, I know with my lawn, I take an hour and a half a week to go and mow it. And with a lot of the plants that are specked out, you just don't have to spend that time. Right. Your advice for folks who are putting together water-wise landscapes and maybe need some extra help. Uh, there have been you know, programs in the past that have helped them. Localscapes is a wonderful resource. You know, we're talking about hiring an architect, which can cost money. It does cost money. But if you take the localscapes, it's free. They will teach you some basic principles of landscape design. If you're wanting to do it, they'll review your plans for you. There's oftentimes some rebates available for doing water-wise landscaping. That is the first resource I would turn to. USU Extension has tons of resources on plant material. The Center for Water Efficient Landscaping is one. So there's lots of resources out there. Um, before we get carried away here, uh, we have a listener who had a question. Uh, when plants go into dormancy, what influences them? Uh, what influences them go dormant are day length, shortening, and colder temperatures. And over a period of a few months, they start to store energy in their roots and start the physiological process of dropping their leaves. All right. That's it for the KSL Greenhouse. Jeff, I know you had a question and you're looking on our Facebook page. Uh, people can't post on our text. They want to send us pictures, but we can't see them. Uh, Jeff, Ton's going to answer your question on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. And if you ever need to send us pictures, folks, just do it on Messenger on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. That's it for us. No show next week. They're going to do a special Sundance movie show next week, but we will be back the following week. And have a great weekend. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, 
we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.